This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. How are you? Very well. We're all celebrating here in England after the uh, fantastic women's Euro win for the England national team. So uh, a bit of a buoyant mood, actually. Yeah, uh, I can imagine there's probably a few sore heads this morning, no doubt. Definitely. Let's start with the latest from the markets and a fairly quiet start to the week. Most markets in positive territory. But we have had some slightly iffy PMI figures, both from China and from Europe. The Chinese bounce back from the COVID lockdowns seems to have faded quite quickly, probably a sign of some underlying weakness that we're seeing in the economy. Obviously, we know about the perils of the housing market, but the idea that this is kind of filtering through into the kind of manufacturing and non-manufacturing sectors is a bit of a concern. The non-manufacturing PMI was a bit better than the manufacturing PMIs at uh, 53.8. It was still a little shy of expectations and also heading in the wrong direction, down from 54.7 last month. Still in growth territory to a decent degree, uh, but I think that will be a bit, a bit of a concern. The manufacturing PMIs, on the other hand, uh, were not. So they had the manufacturing PMI on Sunday, which fell to 49, so in contraction territory. And even the Kaijin manufacturing PMI slipped to 50.4, so that covers more of the kind of small to medium-sized firms. Uh, so there is that slight uh, difference between the two numbers. But even when you look at a combination of the two, that's still really disappointing for an incredibly important business for uh, China and, and its economy. So there is certainly areas of concern in this data. One of the positives that we can take away from it is the fact that supply chains seem to be easing so we are seeing fewer backlogs so hopefully that's a sign uh, on a more global basis that we are seeing supply chains improving and we've seen that as well in the US and what that ultimately means is that's one area where we could potentially see inflationary pressures starting to subside because when we saw these supply chains tighten and we saw delivery times become quite prolonged that's when we started to see these inflationary pressures there appearing Um, so hopefully this is a positive takeaway from the data but more broadly speaking i still think that data is quite disappointing you look across europe and the manufacturing and pmis this morning from germany france italy spain and uh, other countries across the euro area all in contraction territory so all below 50. so again another worrying sign here especially when we're looking at a really challenging few months for europe it really does just feel inevitable at this point that european economy is heading for a recession um, later on this year when, when the energy crisis really starts to bite and I think uh, the kind of industry is going to suffer potentially more than most but it's clearly having a knock-on effect all around so that's a, that's a potentially worrying sign not that it was unexpected but it obviously just continued this trend of weakness uh, in the manufacturing sector um, so something to very much be keeping uh, a close eye on and we just had the unemployment rate as well just since the start of recording and that was 6.6 percent so still a very tight labor market what this ultimately means is that the european central bank is going to be forced to continue to tighten monetary policy into a weakening uh, economic environment which again um, is, is something that people are and should be concerned about i suppose the big question is when is inflation likely to peak? It's difficult to know with the energy crisis as it is. But as you said, supply lines are easing up, which would suggest uh, that there'll be more uh, room for manoeuvre as far as uh, markets are concerned. We've got the, a big announcement. We'll talk about it a little bit later from the Bank of England uh, with the latest uh, interest rate announcement later in the week. 
In terms of how markets have started the week, as I said before, they are bumbling around in semi-positive territory. Did that reflect on those PMI figures or did they just ignore them? I think they're largely ignored, to be honest. I think the problem with final PMI readings, the revisions are always very small, if at all. So the markets don't tend to react in any significant way to them. Um, So the markets are slightly higher and the markets are in a bit more of a buoyant mood than have been for the last two weeks. And a bit of a confusing picture, to be honest, because we're at a time when inflation is the highest we've seen in decades. Central banks are raising rates the most aggressively they have in decades. We've are probably around the peak of inflation but there is no actual evidence to back that up yet even if we are seeing signs of supply chains for example easing and we have seen oil prices come back towards a hundred dollars a barrel still extremely high but that should help on the inflation side to some extent but we are going into a really difficult winter and i do think we are going to see a much more challenging economic environment and yet we are seeing more positivity uh, in the equity market over the course of the last two weeks Uh, we look in the us for example and the dow jones has bounced back almost 10 percent and i mean for me there does seem to still be a disconnect between the economy and the markets the markets seem to be reacting to what yields are doing and almost nothing else so yields have come back from the US 10-year from around 3.5%. They got close to back to around 2.7%, uh, just below there. We're trading out this morning, late last week going into this week. And markets seem to be responding very positively to that. And it, it, it's a confusing one for me because, yes, the Fed last week said that they'll take a data-driven approach now, but that doesn't mean they're not going to raise rates by 50 or 75 basis points again in September. Also, we haven't seen evidence that we've seen peak inflation yet and we know that the economic environment is going to be really challenging and whether you consider the recession that the US is technically in now to be a real recession or not there's still at odds on that the US will have a recession next year so to see the markets being so buoyant and positive and optimistic at such a, an economically challenging time purely because yields have pulled lower partially because of recession being priced in It all seems very confusing to me right now. And I think I wonder how sustainable this recovery potentially is or whether we are just seeing yet another bear market rally. We had some important earnings figures last week from big tech. We're right in the middle of earnings season at the moment. What should we look out for this week? In terms of the massive names, a lot of them reported last week. Obviously, we had big tech reporting last week, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, uh, Meta. This week, we have don't have as many huge names, but still many big names that everyone will be aware of, the likes of Airbnb, PayPal, Starbucks, BP, all of these reporting earnings uh, over the course of this week. We had HSBC reporting earnings this morning. Uh, they actually uh, beat analyst expectations, a slight, um, a slight downward shift on last year, promising to pay a quarterly dividend again from early next year, uh, and also um, sh- showing that there is a write-down in in terms of um, in terms of credit losses or potential credit losses impairments um, of around 1.1 billion, which took um, which impacted the numbers. So we've had HSBC to kick off the week. So that's kind of got us underway. But in terms of how earnings season is going as a whole, it's 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 a real mixed bag at the minute. I think investors are in a very forgiving mood. You're seeing plenty of cases of companies missing on the top line missing on the bottom line but as long as they're not too pessimistic on the outlook or even relatively optimistic then they're getting a bit of a free pass uh, on their earnings currently 
If we take a look at the data from FactTech, for example, 73% of companies that have reported so far reported earnings per share above estimates, but that's below the five-year average. Uh, they're reporting earnings that are at 3.1% above estimates, but that's also below the five-year average. This is kind of the trend that we are ultimately seeing. Now, we are still seeing some positive movements, but it, it's just a bit of a mixed bag. It's really underwhelming, and that's why maybe investors are clinging so much to the outlooks. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of reception the, uh, many of these companies do get now over the course of the next few weeks. So, Because, well, investors are clearly willing to give big tech a free pass as long as they offer a more positive outlook. We look at the earnings warning, for example, from Walmart a couple of weeks ago. That really did take some of the wind out the sails of these markets. And I do wonder whether more of the companies that are now reporting going forward, the ones that don't have quite the diversified business model that an Alphabet or a Microsoft has, I wonder whether their earnings reports and their outlooks are going to fall more in line with Walmart and less with uh, less with some of the big tech names and whether markets are going to be quite as forgiven for those um, uh, in, in the weeks going forward, especially given how much we've already seen um, the markets rebound uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks. So it's going to be a really interesting one in terms of setting the mood for the rest of the summer. Okay, let's uh, talk about the rest of the week to come. I mentioned the Bank of England's big announcement on Thursday, and it looks like it's going to be 50 basis points. And then, of course, we've got non-farm payroll on Friday, which could be a very big indicator to future interest rate rises as well. So let's start with the Bank of England. Uh, the market's betting on 50 basis points, right? Yeah, that seems to be relatively heavily priced in right now, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. The Bank of England policymakers have continually pushed back against the idea that anything is set in stone. But it's just becoming harder because inflation repressions are very evident in the economy. They expect to peak above 11% in October when the energy price cap rises and the amount that's rising by just seems to be going up week by week. It's talk of they could go up by more than 70% in October and again in January. And the Bank of England has to contend with this, even though there's nothing it can actually do about energy prices. So it's an extremely difficult position. It already thinks, seemingly, that we're heading for a recession and has done for many months. And therefore, there is clearly a reluctance there to hike too aggressively and too fast because while it wants to get inflation under control, at least that that it can impact, it doesn't want to trigger a really deep recession. So, it, like I say, like, like many other central banks, it's in a really difficult position right now. And its inflation problem is actually more significant because partly, at least, the UK economy's um, vulnerability to the movements in, that we're seeing in energy prices. So it will be interesting to see what they have to say if they do raise interest rates by 25 or 50 basis points and how they justify that. The RBA also are going to be raising interest rates by another 50 basis points, it seems, when it meets overnight tonight, going into the Tuesday Asia session. And then, of course, we got the jobs report on Friday. I think what makes the jobs report all the more interesting right now is the fact that the US is in a technical recession. But the administration, the central bank and many others have sought to highlight the differences between what is a technical recession now and what is a real recession and a real recession being higher unemployment, a weaker jobs market, a fundamentally weak economy that people will notice. And a lot of people saying that, well, people won't even notice the fact that the US is in recession right now because it has been largely driven by certain factors like the impact of inventories on the GDP data and like the impact of the trade numbers on the GDP data in the first quarter that it's not going to feel like a real recession. It's going to be very different to any recessions that we that you would typically associate with the US economy in that you feel like the economy is relatively strong, but in actual fact, the GDP data has registered two consecutive quarters of negative growth and therefore it is in a 
technical recession. So I think it's more of a political argument going into the midterms in a few months' time, more so than one that we should overly concern ourselves with. But what makes the jobs report so important as a result of that is if you're highlighting this is not a real recession because the labour market is strong and that's followed a week later by a weak jobs report, you start to lose some of that argument. So I think it's really important now that if the US administration and if the US people want to believe that they're not in a real recession right now, we need to see a few good jobs reports to really back that up. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us this morning. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.